We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lundberg skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace, and we have ourselves one more playing game after the Indiana Pacers destroyed, demolished, whatever word you want to use to describe a complete and total beatdown of the Charlotte Hornets. I'm joined by Mike Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Woo, Alex, I feel like it's been a while since I told you I am absolutely jacked up after yesterday's win the Pacers never trailed a game that you could truly sit back and relax, enjoy every second of it. Absolutely. And I, I hate to say it to the Charlotte Hornets fans, but that was a pitiful performance by Charlotte. They just completely got outplayed. It looked like they were workers for Burger King because they were letting the Pacers have it their way. No matter what they wanted to do, it was Indiana Pacers 100% of the way. And all I got to say is it was a fun game to watch from start to finish. And I think even without Levert and without Brogdon, the Pacers would have won that game. Oh, Alex, let's just say uh, those stingers weren't working for those Hornets. They were not buzzing either. I mean, they rolled over and died. But this was a game that, yeah, you know, it was great to have Brogdon out there because obviously the Levert news, it was a bit of a shocker. They said he was yeah. – Really the only person that, that really tested positive for COVID since uh, May 12th on the testing. Um, it, it's a, an absolute bummer. Not expecting Levert back anytime soon. I believe they said 10 to 14 days. But as it relates to Brogdon, only logs 21 minutes in the game. And I think that was definitely the best case scenario 
um, for the Pacers because they got to get him some rest while also, you know, having him out there. So it's great they handled business early. Absolutely. And I, I will say, unfortunately for Edmund Sumner, he did come back, but he only played seven minutes, had to leave with, with the same injury. He re-aggravated it. So he is now questionable for this game against Washington. And I'm, I'm not even sure what's going to happen uh, in this upcoming game, but I do want to recap this game a little bit, Fachi. A lot of stuff happened, but I think one of the most interesting things was DeMontis Sabonis going one of eight in the first half. And it warranted a hate tweet from known DeMontis Sabonis hater, Nate Duncan, basically saying, do you have the tweet up by chance? Uh, I, I could pull it up, but I remember him saying, uh, I don't, I like my centers being dominated by Cody Zeller in the first half, I believe was the gist of it. Yes, I know. I think what he said is, I would prefer that my two-time all-star doesn't get dominated by Cody Zeller in uh <laughs> In, in a playing game or in the playoffs, whatever, just a complete ridiculous, you know, tweet, because if you actually watch the game, if he calls himself this big, you know, basketball analyst, like he has some good points. I mean, he's a smart basketball guy. I'm not trying to discredit his basketball knowledge, but his hate for DeMontis Sabonis is just personal at this point. It's really stupid. I mean, why would you get personal just because a guy you're not a big fan of has made two all-star games? Like get over it. Like who cares if you don't really care for his game? Like he's a good basketball player. Like there's no reason to hate on him. He's, uh, he's a fun player to watch for a lot of people, and a lot of people love him. You got you got Kenny, the Jet Smith, and Charles Barkley claiming him as a superstar on TNT after the big win. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he's a superstar by any stretch of the means, but, hey, I'd rather hear that than hear the crap from Nate Duncan hating on Sabonis, who had a terrific game, 14 points, 21 rebounds, and nine assists, one block, one steal, and was a team best plus 27 on the night, the Charlotte Hornets were absolutely petrified of Sabonis getting to the basket. That's why you saw so many guys in the paint every single time Sabonis had the ball, which led to a plethora of wide-open threes for the Indiana Pacers. Without a doubt, Sabonis, the king of real estate as it relates to being inside of Nate Duncan's head. <laughs> I mean, without a doubt, Nate Duncan has made – it almost feels like his goal in life is to have Sabonis not make the all-star team and then go, I told you so, because it's like he's just waiting for the man to fail. But you know what? Sabonis ain't going to do it. So obviously he was drawing all the attention from the Hornets. And you mentioned all those wide open threes. It was a big difference in the game. I believe the Pacers hit, I want to say, seven three-pointers in the first quarter. They were seven of 11 uh, from three-point range early on, and it made a big difference. Doug McDermott, one of those guys that benefited big time. 16 points in the first quarter. The Pacers never looked back. So even if Sabonis struggled, you know, from the field shooting-wise, he was doing a lot. I don't remember the exact amount of assists that he had by halftime, but you could already tell between the rebounds and the assists, this man was trending towards a double-double early on and without a doubt would have had a triple-double if the game was even within reach. So I was happy that Sabonis only had a log 33 minutes in this game. Felt like it was, it was a way to keep him a bit fresh. Um, and then especially, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cover on Washington, but you know, they're hurting a little bit from injury. So it was nice to get whatever rest you could, but Alex, just like we talked about, it would be great if we can get some of these youngins in there. And I think everybody got to log minutes yesterday and the Pacers ended up having a ton of players. I want to say it was, uh, eight players logged at least 19 minutes yesterday, and I thought yep. that was some great experience. Um, so how are you really going to hate on Zabonis there? I mean, I've seen some people just try and look at the field goal percentage when 
in the end, he ended up with a really good game that you're going to take time after time. Yeah, and after that, Nate Duncan tweets, Sabonis went 6-7 to seven from the field. So I think that was a little bit of karma biting Nate Duncan mm-hmm. right there in the butt in the backside. But, uh, you know, we can move on from that. I just want to move forward here with this team because who would have thought, Flachi, who in their right mind would have thought that Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier go a combined one of 16 from the Exactly. They were absolutely atrocious shooting the ball. And one thing that I really was disappointed with in Charlotte, not necessarily their energy. I mean, I knew that the inexperience was going to play a big factor in this, and that's why I picked the Pacers to win. I thought it'd be a much closer game. But one thing that I was just so shocked by was, number one, Bismack Biombo getting the start. Bismack Biombo is a ghost of who he was yep. five years ago when he was somewhat competitive against the Pacers when they had Mahimi and Turner starting you know, together in that series against the Raptors. But what I just didn't understand either was their inability to protect the three-point line. They were so worried about the paint. Uh, if I was Charlotte, I would have done a much better job of, of just sticking with my guy on the three-point line and, and maybe letting Sabonis go one-on-one versus Cody Zeller because we know the Pacers are at their worst when they're force-feeding Sabonis with just one-on-one post-up matchups. Like, that's not his game. Like, his game is to do that every once in a while, but he's really good at finding the open guy, especially when they were just like – playing that two, three zone. And you just kept seeing one foot in the paint. Like I think every single Charlotte Hornet had like a foot in the paint and it just left the perimeter wide open. And when the Pacers are shooting 40, you know, what was it? 48% from three last night, 45%. Yeah. 45.7 to be exact. So, I mean, 45% from three is absurd. You know, that's a crazy number. And they were just hitting everything they threw at the ocean. And then, you know, it was just, it was just unreal to me how Charlotte was unable to, get out there and make better defensive plays. But at the end of the day, you could just tell they kept saying all over the broadcast for TNT last night that, Oh, just the youth and and experience, but the Pacers have the experience. And I think that's what just matters the most here. Charlotte was kind of, you know, on a, on a losing skin. They ended up losing six games in a row to end their season and a lot of injuries. I, I think that you just realize how important Gordon Hayward is to the Charlotte Hornets. Um, because they were the four seed before he went down. And, and so now they've got some major moves to make in the offseason. I think they're a good team, but they've got a lot of free agents. But I think that they have a couple moves to make here to really bolster this roster because I like a lot of the pieces, but they're just missing a few. No, they are. The loss of Hayward was huge, and we knew that would be huge. I mean, he's their their veteran scorer, you know, a guy that can get a basket right when you need it, a guy who can, you know, have everybody to calm down. And they do have a lot of young players that we talked about. They will have some moves to address. I do think they have just a solid hole at center. I think that they also have to figure out what they're going to do guard-wise. I think just too many guards between, you know, LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, Malik Monk, Devontae Graham. you got to figure that situation out. I imagine they'll probably flip one of those guys. Uh, but across the board, I mean, Alex, even though Charlotte did what they could to clog the paint, the Pacers had 74 points in the paint. So it was it was an even game. You know, they, they killed them in three-point land, killed them in the paint. Uh, the Pacers also drastically won the rebounding battle by 18, which was just great to see. I mean, you could go across the board, the 35 assists. I mean, it, it was great. Um, just overall, a, such a fun game to watch. I mean, you talk about fun, Malcolm Brogdon even said, Seeing all, you know, everybody making shots, just it, it was everybody was having fun. They were having a great time out there. But when you mentioned that Charlotte, you know, limped into this game now, a six game losing streak, Alex, we haven't thought about it, but 
whether you want to call it the postseason or not, whatever, we're in that weird in between. The Pacers have lost a franchise worth nine straight postseason games mm-hmm. before yesterday. So whether you want to count it or not, it's it's a, it's muddy waters. But hey, finally in a big game outside of the regular season, the Pacers won. Well, I think a lot of that has to go to just the the opponent number one. Obviously, the Without opponent was much more favorable for the Pacers. But I will say this: I would have never imagined the Pacers won 144 to 117 led by the combined scoring of Doug McDermott and said 17 of 23 combined from the field for a total of 44 points. said led the team in scoring. Love it. Doug McDermott was number two. Doug McDermott scored a total of 16 points the first two series that he was on the Pacers against the Celtics and against the Heat last year. He combined for 16 total That's points. That's disgusting. Yesterday against Charlotte, he had 21. So he was a plus five in just one game compared to what he had done in the previous eight. And those were all losses. And I think that just goes to show you how far away Charlotte really is from being a true playoff team. But they've got a lot of young guys, and I just think they need some veteran presence there aside from Gordon Hayward. But anyway, I was I'm I'm really excited about what we saw from this team, but I am a little concerned, Fachi, because the shooting numbers were ridiculous. Can the Pacers continue this shooting streak heading or this hot shooting streak heading into Washington? Oh, I don't know. It was one of those games where everything went right for the Pacers to the point where it's hard to duplicate that. I mean, if you think about it, that's what the Pacers did against OKC. Everything went perfectly. The Pacers, they hit every shot. They scored, you know, over 150 points. And then the next game they gave up about 150 points to Washington. Ironically, Washington is the next team on the schedule. So I hope history does not repeat itself um, because things just, they came too easy for the Pacers. I mean, 40 points in the first quarter, 69 by halftime. I mean, they were up 31 going into the fourth in the the middle of the third quarter. It was just one of those games that it felt like, oh man, now what's going to happen when we play a real team that's capable? And, uh, you know, in comes Washington. Now here's the thing. I mentioned that they're a bit banged up. I watched the game yesterday. Bradley Beal a lot of times was grabbing that hamstring. He did not look like the same Bradley Beal. I believe he finished with 22 points, 10 of 25 shooting. Russ seemed like he kind of came back down to earth, but here's the thing. It's like, Ah, he's killed the Russ has killed the Pacers all season long. That you hope that he didn't get his bad game out of the way, but you kind of just hope the Wizards continue to struggle a little bit. But here's one stat I had to throw out there Alex, the Pacers finished with the best regular season road record in the East at 21 and 15. So, hey, bring on Washington. Bring on Washington. You were at a you were at a Washington watch party. I was last not. Month. I was not. There Did was you? talks. I was going to go if the Pacers were playing Washington. My friend was going to have a housewarming. Instead, he's moving it to Thursday, so I will likely be there. Oh, so because yeah, because you had told me on Monday that you were going to probably not be able to do anything Tuesday night as far as podcast recording, because you were going to a uh, a watch party to watch the games at your friend's house. So I was. Th- Thinking to myself, man, Fachi's going to a Wizards watch party. Man, and you said on the podcast last week, or actually Monday this week, you said, I just want one Pacers win. So I got it. I uh I'm I'm wondering, are you uh putting back on your Wizards cap and pulling for a Washington win here, Fotch? 
There is no Wizards cap to put back on. I will never root for Washington. Here's the thing. I want to beat Washington, but just the the prize of playing Philly in the first round is just I just don't know how I'm supposed to feel. <laughs> I mean, that is that has got to be the worst prize I can think of in, in recent years. But hey, take it one game at a time. And, and for that game against the Hornets, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I want to I want to get back to this series real quick because if you look at the three games that happened this season, the Pacers probably should have won. The one they lost at home, there were some really bad calls. Mm-hmm. That went the Pacers, you know, went against the Pacers, and had that been the case, I think Indiana actually would have been the eight seed had yep. they won against Washington. So, regardless, they didn't get that win, but that might be a precursor to what we can expect whistle wise because of the league is wanting a Westbrook Beal playoff series against the the Philadelphia 76ers over the Pacers could there be some uh you know some questionable calls here we will we'll have to see we'll have to keep our eye on that I know all Pacer fans always have that thought in the back of their mind that they're getting screwed but looking back I want to point these numbers out real quick the Pacers averaged a total of 132.3 points against the Wizards this year however they gave up an average of 139.6 points to the Wizards and Russell Westbrook was absolutely destructive against the Pacers. 27.3 points per game, 20.3 assists per game, 17.6 rebounds per game, and three games against the Indiana Pacers. I think Westbrook did not have a great night against Boston. There were some shots that just looked really off. I know that the playoffs can be a little bit of a tighter situation, but at the end of the day, I think Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal are going to be a much, much, much tougher matchup than what the Pacers faced on Tuesday against Charlotte. That If there could ever be an understatement, that's what it feels <laughs> like. It Because this is going to be way harder. I mean, you're talking about the human triple-double, and you're talking about the league's second leading score. So it's going to be tough. I mean, you mentioned Russ's insane stat line. Beal, he missed one of the games, which the Wizards still won. And then the others, he scored 26 and 50 on 54% shooting. But Alex, it also has to be pointed out that Rui Hachimura in the three games averaged 22 and 7 on 53% shooting. So we don't want to discredit him too. The Pacers have, they have their hands full. So I looked at it. I dove through some different stats. Pacers were also out-rebounded by 28 rebounds across those three matchups. So there's really not much that went their way at all. The Wizards shot 55%, 61%, and 45%. The 45% game was when the Pacers played them much better, the one-point loss in overtime. But here's the thing. You know, while we're thinking, yeah, that was such a close game, it was Karis LeVert that had 33 and 35 in two mm. of those three games. Good point. It is not going to be easy at all. I mean, Brogdon only played in one of those three games. He had 26 and eight. So it's good to have him back. You hope that, you know, while we were wondering if he's rusty or not, it's still great to have him out there because if he wasn't out there and you don't know the status of Edmund Sumner, the Pacers are, they're real thin when it comes to throwing bodies at Russ and Beal. So, you know, you never wish an injury on, on no man at all, but you, you wonder how that hamstring is going to hold up for Beal if he's going to be able to go 40-plus minutes if it calls for it. So that that's going to be the thing. Is Russ going to have another off night? Can Beal go the distance? I mean, that that's going to be the big difference. And I'm just so happy that the Pacers got to be able to rest 
some players, but it really doesn't look like anyone's coming back. We heard Miles Turner is a while away from coming back. Yeah. Not expecting Jeremy Lamb out there. I mean, we obviously know TJ Warren is not suiting up. So, I mean, the only thing I'm looking at right now is the Wizards allowed the most points per game in the league this year, 118.5. So the Pacers weren't that far behind them, but I think the Pacers can continue the trend of scoring a lot of points. I do expect them to score at least 125, maybe 130. It sounds like a lot to predict. The real question is how much are we going to let up? Yeah, so here's what I'll say with with Washington. I was watching that Celtics game last night at home. I wanted to kind of get a feel for how Washington and, and Boston played because we really didn't know who we were going to face. And I was like, what does Boston look like now without Jalen Brown? I wanted to see what they would do. And I was actually more afraid of Boston in a game oh, than yeah. I was Washington. And I know a lot of people were like, oh, I want to play, uh, I want to play, uh, you know, Washington instead of Boston because I want to lose. And I'm like, okay, um, I, I think the Pacers have a much better chance against Washington than they do against Boston. Because even though Washington had the lead at the end of half, when you when you come back and watch that third quarter, the defensive intensity that picked up for Boston was through the roof. They outscored Washington. Um, let me check real quick here. I have it up on my phone. 38 to 26. They outscored them by 12 in that third quarter. And one of the reasons why is their defense. I mean, just being able to get out there and, and force things. I think Tristan Thompson, as much as we like to make fun of him as a guy, he is a good he's a good postseason player because of his ability to defend and grab rebounds. I mean, he knows his role very well and he embraces it. Jason Tatum obviously was just a monster last night with 50 points. But Kimba Walker, a guy that has been really up and down and someone that could be traded. I, I mean, from what we've heard, he really stepped up, had 29 points. He was taking charges left and right. Marcus Smart, you know, 35 minutes just the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Great defense. Evan Fournier was the guy that kept getting all the fouls called on him when they weren't calling him on Kimba and Jason Tatum. So, um, yeah, I just was watching this game and I thought to myself, what, you know, defense is what's going to come down to winning this game. And can the Pacers be defensively minded enough to to slow Washington down? Because Ruby Hachimura got in foul trouble, but he was, you know, he's a guy that has torched the Pacers. Um, I think if I'm Washington, one thing that I would probably do is I would pr I would probably play Robin Lopez a little bit more, and I would try my best to see how he can kind of handle Sabonis because Sabonis going up against bigger physical centers like that, because I think Robin Lopez is probably a little bit bigger than him in size overall. I think yeah. that he could handle Sabonis pretty well in the paint and, and not really have, you know, not saying like Sabonis can't, you know, score on him or anything like that, but – I really believe that he can he can do a little bit better job than Alex Lynn for sure, and then Daniel Gafford just a little bit smaller. So I would probably play Lopez a little bit more, but Bertans, 33 minutes last night, one of eight from the field, four points, and just absolutely sucks on defense. Disgusting. Like, that's where the Pacers are going to have to attack is if he's out there and then Bradley Beal's out there with a bad um, – does he have an ankle injury or an ACL? A hamstring. Injury? Hamstring, okay. I couldn't remember what it was. So with his injury and then you got a terrible defender in Bertans – 
Then you've got Scotty Brooks' son, uh, Matthews, out there playing 12 minutes. Um, I'm just kidding about that. Yeah. But he he looks like Scotty Brooks' son, which is hilarious. But I just I just look at this team, and I think the Pacers really do have a chance to win this game, Fachi. They do. Even without Lavert, if McDermott can get hot, if Washington is unable to defend the three-point line because they've not done a good job of it all season, if this comes down to like a scoring battle, like I I, I kind of think the Pacers win this game. That's the thing. It's going to be a slugfest. This is going to be a very high-scoring game, and everybody knows it. Now, Washington, who knows if they'll duplicate it again, but 3 of 21 from three-point land against Boston, they were sloppy also, 31 fouls, 15 turnovers. It's the little things that you need to win. When I was diving through where the Pacers could have an advantage, across the three games, the Pacers were plus 16 in free throw attempts against Washington. You got to be able to get to the line. You got to be able to defend the perimeter. So Pacers perimeter defense, you know, it, it was it was good against uh, Washington on the series. I looked at it. The Pacers uh, allowed, on average, 10 threes made per game. There's never more than 10 in any of the three matchups. So, mm-hmm. It's that's not bad at all in today's NBA when you're gonna you know jack up close to 43s. Hey, if a team's gonna go 10 of 40 or close to that, you're gonna take that every single time. So it's gonna be the little things. I expect a very high scoring game, um, and that that's gonna be the difference in there. It's who can score. Obviously, it sounds stupid to say who could score more points, but it's like you're gonna have to have explosive quarters with getting timely stops. Obviously, that's tough when you when you're without guys like. Miles Turner, but I really want to look at Justin Holiday to take on challenge over here. I mean, a guy like Justin Holiday, I think, could play a huge role in this game. You're going to have to throw out everybody you can at Beal, at Russ, any type of help defense possible because guys could get in foul trouble. They, they very well could, and and if that that could end up being the difference in this game. Pacers are already thin, but, you know, it's going to come down to timely stops. And uh, for that, I'm excited. It's very, very hard to beat a team all four times in a season. It is. The Wizards have accomplished the first three. But, hey, none of those matter anymore. You only got to get one win here. So let's let's assume Brogdon plays, but we have no Sumner. Obviously, I think they'll run the same starting five out that they ran out against Charlotte which was Justin Holiday, Doug McDermott, O'Shea Brissett, DeMontis Savonis, and Malcolm Brogdon. I got to ask you, who are you putting on Westbrook and who are you putting on Beal? That, that's, that's the question. I mean, that's the real question over here. And you wonder, can Brogdon stick with Russ? It's, yeah. it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But I want no part of a Doug McDermott on Bradley Beal. None at all. <laughs> so uh, over there, I would like to see some Justin Holiday on him. Uh, you yeah. got the length. You got the length right there. You know, you know Justin's a very capable defender, and we know Beal isn't a hundred percent right now. I think that even a even an eighty percent Bradley Beal can absolutely cook and serve up Doug McDermott on a platter. So I, I want no part of that matchup. But I'm leaning, you know, Brogdon on Russ, Justin Holiday on Beal. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that's probably what I'd run with as well. But I, I'm I'm just curious because. Looking at our bench rotations, assuming Edmund Sumner is not able to go, the bench, it makes me a little nervous if we don't play both one of Justin or, or Brogdon on, or keep one of them on them the whole time. Um, you know what I mean? Like for, for the entirety of the game, because like I think at this point, your best bet, I mean, I don't trust TJ McConnell. He's too small. Nah. So you're looking at Keelan Martin as your next best it. bet. 
to, to be a bigger defender to guard one of them. And I think he might have to get some minutes. I think that when Goga plays, he's going to have to be extra effective on the on protecting the rim. We know that Sabonis is a great rebounder, but I think you still need that rim protection. So I think he could be impactful in this game. You know, McDermott, if he's not hitting threes, like this is what I said before the Hornets game. Like if Doug goes off, like you got to keep him in there because he's going to be the difference maker. But if, you know, if he doesn't, then he's more of a liability than anything. So that's why I'm like, he, the only thing he really does is help spread the floor out uh, if he's not hitting. I mean, but the, you still got to respect it. That's where I'm kind of trying to figure it out. I think O'Shea Brissett, I wouldn't anticipate him guarding any of those guys, but he's going to have his hands full with Rui Hachimura. He's going to make sure that he just kind of matches, I guess, because, I mean, Rui has, like you said, had some really good games against the Pacers, but last night I think that Boston did a good job of eliminating him and getting him in foul trouble. And if the Pacers can do that, get Rui in foul trouble, um, that that really does minimal, minimize what – Washington can do, but for some reason, Chandler Hutchison has had the Pacers number all year long. Yes. He could be it the makes X. No sense. He could be the X factor, but I think that if I'm looking at anybody to be the X factor for this game, it's got to be Ish Smith. Ish Smith looked good last night. He did. I feel I believe he finished with 17 points and yeah. he looked active out there. He was he was a big part of Washington's bench. Eight rebounds good. too. With yeah, he went six of eight from the field. So that's tough, Foch. I mean, that's where I'm looking at a guy because he's a veteran. He's been there before. Like he was kind of in the huddle, like saying stuff and trying to get these guys motivated. So like for me, like when I look at the Pacers, like that's TJ McConnell's assignment. Ish Smith, you know. Or, yeah. or or all nettle, you know. So it's uh, I don't think Washington's roster is all that like sexier by any stretch of the mean, but they've done a good job with what they've got. And then of course I mentioned this the last time we talked about Pacers Wizards, but Daniel Gafford has just been a really nice find for them off the bench. He was six or seven last night for twelve points. Does a great job in the pick and roll and just finishes everything that Russ gets him. So that's where he is really effective. I just think of the Pacers. Come out shooting hot. There's no way they're going to lose this game. But if they come out struggling to shoot the ball, you know, look more like how Sabonis looked when he took his first three and it went far left and airballed out of bounds. Like, if they're closer to that than they were McDermott's first three, obviously it's going to be a long night because they can score in the paint. I don't think that Washington has any paint stoppers by any stretch of the no. mean. But the Pacers have got to do a good job of playing under control, not letting Washington get in their head because – that's what can happen with this team. Like Westbrook, if he starts going off, he starts talking. You can kind of let it get to you, but you have to control. I mean, I'm fine with Westbrook getting his points, but you got to eliminate the assist because if he's getting close exactly. to 20 assists, that means that we're focused too much on what Westbrook's doing and leaving guys like Bertans, Hutchison, Hachimura, Beal open for, for all those threes. I can't think of any time ever that a guy averaged over 20 assists in multiple games in a series. I mean, it's it's honestly ridiculous, but that's what Russ did against the Pacers. Now, look, when you mentioned about outshooting your opponents, obviously, when you know, you would think most of the time, if you outshoot your opponents, you'll win. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the Pacers are 22-3 and this season when shooting 50% or better, which is obviously unbelievable, but they're also 30-5 and when they outshoot their opponent. So it, it goes without saying, if the Pacers are feeling it and they're hot, you know, we're going to be in good shape, but it's way easier said than done. Now, when you mentioned the bench unit before, I crunched some numbers, and against Washington this year, the Pacers bench averaged 36.6 points per game in the three matchups. So I like that. The problem is, is that we're much thinner since then. You know, when you remove those 33, 35 points, you know, that um, that Karis LeVert was putting up, you know, you're sliding Doug McDermott into the starting lineup and it, ma- it makes the bench that much thinner. So we're going to need someone to step up. I know you mentioned that Q and Martin could be looked at to get minutes and that would have sounded pretty ridiculous about a month ago. But Q and Martin is someone who he's kind of been consistent lately. He's been good. He's been putting up double figures and I know it was the fourth quarter and the game was out of reach, but he looked good. He looked good. He, he was going down there. He was being aggressive, and he was hitting shot after shot. Um, so I believe he finished with, like, 14 points. Um, you know, it was something that, you know, I was I was impressed. I thought to myself, hey, if Sumner can't go, you know, Keelan Martin's got to be ready. But also, we didn't touch about – we didn't touch on it enough that Sabonis absolutely manhandled oh, yeah. Washington this year. They have Average, no answer for him. None. Averaged 32 points per game. 14.3 rebounds and 9.3 assists. This man owned Washington. So yeah. it, we're going to go as as much as, you know, so we're going to live and die by Sabonis in this game. If he is not dominant, and then I, I find it hard to believe that the Pacers are going to be able to squeak out of a win. But, hey, if we're better on the road than we are at home and, and the, the Wizards have beat us all three times, something's got to give. I, I like your optimistic thinking, Fudge. I mean <laughs> – you gotta I've been, be. I've been thinking about it all day, and it's like, you know, here's where I'm at. Because when we talked last time, and I wasn't like, I told you I wasn't rooting for a win or a loss. I was just rooting for good basketball. Well, I got that for sure, and mm-hmm. it, and it resulted in a win. And so here's where I'm at now. If the Pacers win this game, they will more than likely pick 15th in the NBA draft, which is really not that bad, okay? No. If they lose, they're more than likely 13th. And there have been some really good stud players that have been picked at 13 the last couple of uh, last five years. I believe Bam Adebayo was one of them. Donovan Mitchell was one. And Devin Devin Booker. Booker. Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero as well. So that's a good list. Yeah. And then like Tyrese Halliburton was drafted 12th. And there's still a possibility the Pacers can pick 12th if they lose against Washington and San Antonio makes the playoffs. But I find that highly unlikely. So Really, I mean, what's the biggest difference between picking 15th and 13th? I mean, the only thing is you get a chance to move up in the lottery, but that the, the likelihood of that happening is very slim. So 
as a Pacer fan, I'm not rooting for a loss. I'm actually rooting for them to win this game, Foch. I'm going to just go out and say it. Oh, I yeah, want them to back. win. I want them to win, mm-hmm. and I don't really care if they – I mean, I think the playoffs would be a good experience. And part of the reason that I was a little bit hesitant about them, you know, making the playoffs is I don't want what's ever happening here with Nate Bjorkren to, like, change things because I don't feel like this little run here really should change much. Of, of where the Pacers are heading in like the off season. I still feel like they need to move on from him. Oh yeah. Because of something that happened yesterday. And we've heard TJ McConnell. I've talked about it before. TJ McConnell has been praising Bjorkren basically like kind of the only one coming to his defense. Here is a lengthy question that J Michael shared that was asked to Malcolm Brogdon. I want to read this to you guys. So apologize for the long talking, but here is what the reporter, I don't know who it was, but the question that was sent to Malcolm Brogdon. Earlier in the season, when you started out, you guys were doing well. You were very strong in endorsing Coach Nate Bjorkren and the kind of style he brought to the team, a new direction. Where do you stand now, given all that's transpired? You're in ninth place, a few games under 500. Where do you stand as far as endorsing Coach Nate Bjorkren for the job? Malcolm Brogdon replies, we're trying to get this win for him tonight. That's really all I can say. We're focused on this win. There's been a lot of hoopla that's come out, a lot of distractions, a lot of noise. We're in the playing tournament. We still have a chance to make the playoffs. That's what we're focused on. Fachi, what do you take away from that? He pretty much pulled the Bill Belichick saying, you know, we're on to Cincinnati. I mean, it was basically <laughs> like, it really was. It was just, hey, you know, we're, we're focused on winning this game, tuning out everything that's been said, you know. Hey, let's go beat Charlotte. I mean, that was, it was, you know, there was not a, an endorsement of like those reports are absolutely false. And, you know, we've been fighting in the trenches for, for Nate Bjorker and this, this and that. It was like, we got a game to win against Charlotte. We're going to do it for him. We're going to do it for the team. Let's go. You know, there really was not much behind that, but Hey, you know, we've, we've talked about how, you know, Brogdon at times hasn't really been uh, the number one coach supporter as the season goes on. And it appears that this relationship, as you know, seeing it has gone stale, feels like we're underdoing it because it seemed like in the beginning Brogdon was the ringing endorsement for Bjorkring. It's obvious that's changed. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody sent me an article from the Inquisitor.com, and I don't usually read anything from the Inquisitor.com. It was by a guy that nobody's ever heard of. His name is JB Barulo, <laughs> and it said NBA exec. Uh, reveals paces are open for business on Malcolm Brogdon in 2021 offseason. So not going to really get into it, but basically kind of talks about how Karis LeVert being added to the team makes Brogdon expendable and how the there's been issues involving Brogdon and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I didn't read too much into it, but um, one of the reporters was Evan Massey. Um, he's put out some other stuff that I don't necessarily agree with. I don't know if he's a clickbait guy or what, but – Basically, he put out there that the, 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 the Timberwolves could shop Carl Anthony Towns. Okay, like anybody can say that. It's not a report. I could get up and go get some pizza, but it doesn't mean I'm going to. Anybody could say anything. So I just want to put that out there that there are tiny rumblings, even if it's from the Inquisitor, people sending them my way, asking me about them. So I would just thought I'd bring them up. I think that what you heard from Sabonis last night on his interview with uh, the TNT crew he talked about Malcolm Brogdon coming back and how he's a leader of the locker room. Okay, so if Malcolm is a leader of the locker room and that is the comment he said back to that question about Nate Bjorkren, it does not seem good. No. And we had on uh, Ty Windish from the Eurostep pod 
to kind of talk about his relationship with coaches there in Milwaukee. And he hit on the Jason Kidd thing. He was not a big fan of him. I think at the beginning he might have endorsed him, but then kind of turned sour on him. He didn't say too much about uh, Coach Bud, but when he got here, he was like, I wanted a bigger opportunity. Embraces McMillan, then all of a sudden gets sour on him after the playoffs and the bubble. And then all of a sudden he's real happy, he calls him a genius coach here this season. And now that is a response we get on his relationship with him. So a lot of moving parts here, a lot of connecting the dots and trying to figure out where Brogdon is. I'm just out here trying to figure it out. I'm playing like detective. I'm trying to figure out what makes Brogdon tick. And that is why I am so keen on a guy like Chauncey Billups, because I feel like that's the only player that can really relate to him. But at the same time, I think Brogdon going forward is going to be in a limited role with TJ Warren and Karis LeVert as your main scorers, along with DeMontis Sabonis. So he's going to have a much lesser role. He might want out of Indiana. There's no doubt about it. So I don't, I don't really know. I'm just guessing. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating. And I'm kind of just giving you a hypothesis of what I think could be the problem. It could be Brogdon. It could be Bjorkren. We don't really know. We're all hearing just reports, but I think that there has to be something that is made of this comment because whether you think Bjorkman's going to stay or not because the Pacers don't want to like pay for another coach after this next season, if Brogdon's still around, I don't expect Bjorkman back. No, I think that's a fair statement. I do think that it's very important for Brogdon. While I don't think he's really come out publicly and said this or anything, I do think it is important for him to be an all-star or he thinks of himself in that way. And when, you know, he had a good year, but, you know, he wasn't an all-star. When you bring in T.J. Warren and the role that Karis LeVert's going to play, he's not going to be an all-star. So mm -hmm. he's got to decide, is winning more important or is him, you know, kind of being the guy more important? And if Brogdon is the guy, then I don't think that you're going to be, you know, overly successful because – I think winning should be what kind of matters more and, and that should kind of give him the validation. And, and I do think this is probably more of a Nate Bjorkman problem. And I think that in basketball, you know, the point guard is typically an extension of the head coach. So I yeah. think it is normal for, for those two to kind of maybe see differently if things aren't going right. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. I don't think that the Pacers would, you know, kind of keep Bjorkman trade, Brogdon and, and you know think that they've kind of fixed that issue I, I do think <laughs> God, that I this, hope not. yeah exactly I, I think this is one of those where eh, I think it's a Bjorkman problem if no one is really coming out here and and, and bonding together to have Bjorkman's back outside of TJ McConnell who's just like an overall great he's a free player. agent too exactly he's just an overall great guy who probably saw Bjorkman you know absolutely getting killed by the media and wanted to help him out other than that you know, we're not hearing comments from anyone. So mm. it, that says a lot in itself. So I, I do think there's a lot of questions to be asked when you mentioned, you know, a guy that has had success like a Chauncey Billups. If Brogdon could not respect Chauncey Billups, then it's a Brogdon issue. Well, he didn't respect Jason Kidd. Yeah, I mean, Kidd was also early in his, his coaching career. I know he coached at Brooklyn. But Chauncey's but, never coached. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I still – I know you're a big-time Chauncey guy, but I'm – I still want to see how that works out. I mean, I always liked someone who had at least a bit of experience, at least as an assistant coach, but that didn't work out in Bjorkman. So, hey, who knows? I think more so. I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate, but I do think personality-wise, Chauncey's probably more of a guy that can get along with – you can get along with him better than Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd's personality rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, 
And it took him a while to find a head coaching job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he kind of got blackballed after that whole well, thing. He's still an assistant. He's yeah. uh, I believe an associate head coach or yeah. Whatever. With the Lakers. Yeah. yeah. And everybody thought I, I included thought he would replace Vogel after a, a rough Lakers start. If that were the case, you know, like just kind of be that guy to be on the bench. But I, I but I still think that his uh, basketball knowledge is very important to the staff. Of course. Of course. And, He'll, he'll be a head coach again someday. He's not nearly close to being a, a black ball as much as Mark Jackson, former Indiana no, Pacers. No, that's a real black ball. Yeah, right yeah. There. And, I mean, it's a, it's a tough thing to get into. A lot of people don't say, say Mark Jackson's a bad coach. And, I, I mean, we can get into it. I don't think he necessarily is. I think the players from that Warriors team really embraced him. I think that he changed that culture, but he just wasn't the guy to get them over the top. So, Say what you want, but I don't think Mark Jackson should be 100% blackballed, but I understand why people are hesitant. Like, here's what I'll say. If Luke Walton can still be a head coach oh my God. in the NBA, then Mark Jackson should be a head coach. Luke, Luke Walton, Walton is not a good coach. Well, he's not really a good person either. So it's like, <laughs> you know, so it's like, Yeah, okay. he had some allegations against him. Yeah. You know, I don't know what what was the situation, how it, how it got resolved. But real quick, going back to your Mark Jackson point, yeah. I do think that the Warriors' success after Mark Jackson made it that much worse for his case. Yeah. Because Steve Kerr stepped in there, and all of a sudden they're a dynasty. Yeah, he changed some things, and that's okay. But I think that Jackson established the culture. Yeah, he, without a doubt. Without a doubt. He did. The Pacers need a better culture than what they have now. I'm not saying Mark Jackson. I'm not advocating for Jackson for head coach. But here's what I would. If I was Mark Jackson and I was willing to be an assistant coach, if I'm Chauncey Billups, that'd be a great person to put on your staff. I would have loved to have had Mark Jackson on this staff. I mean, that I think could have, I think he could have kept some guys in check, been a respected point guard, obviously a former pacer. I mean, a two-time pacer. I mean, this is yeah. someone that, you know, you, you, when Mark Jackson talks, you listen. And I think that, yeah, it didn't work out in Golden State, but come on. If he's, I just think that maybe he's not willing to be an assistant coach. Mm. Well, and, and part of it, too, he's got a good gig with ESPN. Of course. And at the end of the day, I'm excited about this Pacers-Wizards game. We get a primetime game on a Thursday night. All eyes are going to be on Pacers-Wizards. I actually think this is going to be a very, very, very close game, similar to the last one we saw in Bankers Live Fieldhouse. I really do. I, I think that this game is going to, you know, 8 o'clock, like you mentioned, primetime. This is going to gather the attention of a lot of people that have not been watching the Pacers. And I started getting a lot of texts yesterday. Whoa, Pacers? Pacers from people who do not watch the Pacers at all. So it's great to be able to attract <laughs> those people who haven't even seen a game of ours all year. And I think that as a, as a, for all the casual NBA fans, like I've mentioned time after time, today, you're going to see a really high-scoring game, which is fun for the masses. It is. If, if you're looking for a – a grinded out defensive game, then you're in the wrong place. These are two teams that are not fond of defense this year. So, hey, let, let the points be scored. I'm imagining a game that's probably going to be probably maybe I'm going to lean Pacers, but I'm going to say like 135 to 130. It, it's going to, it's crazy to predict these, these numbers in 2021, but that's where we're at. The Pacers have scored mm -hmm. 125 points well over 20 times this year. I mean, it, it's something that they're just, doing on a regular basis that, hey, Washington is the is the type of defensive team to do it against once more. It'd be so Washington-like for them 
to have this great run at the end of the season and then just completely flail out in the in the plan or the playoffs, whatever you want to call it, playing playoffs, whatever. But I just, you know, it's it's going to be tough. I think that if Russell Westbrook it has another monster game like we've talked about and Bradley Beal can play a little bit better, maybe not play like a superstar level, but like play at like an all-star level. I just don't think the Pacers have enough firepower, especially with, with Levert being out, Warren being out, Turner being out, and Brogdon still coming back from that injury. But um, real quick, Fachi, did you happen to catch the intermittent breathing there <laughs> like between every sentence there from Sparrow Didis, the guy that was on the play-by-play for TNT last night? I did. Those were, I don't know if I want to call them some long-winded answers, but uh, those were some deep breaths. I'll put it that way. <laughs> it was uncomfortable at one point. I was like, what is going on here? Like, people were tweeting about it. Then everybody was going at Marv Albert for the other game, getting Aaron Neesmith and, and Marcus Smart confused because 36 and 26 is hard for him to see. And, like, I get Marv Albert's retiring for a reason. Uh, I think it was like five years ago we, returned, we referred to Miles Turner as Elston Turner, a guy that hadn't played in like 20-some years. So... <laughs> It's uh, it's been a rough couple of years for for Marvin. I know that he's hanging it up for good, and it's probably best for him. I mean, one of the greatest announcing voices. I know that there's been some really not so good stuff about what he did. I know that mm-hmm. he got fired from the NBA on NBC, but I mean, he's an iconic voice, and uh, quite frankly, I don't want to remember him as a guy that kept messing up names, but as a guy that was actually you know one of the most uh, loved voices across across the um, the TV and uh, airways, but. Anyway, Foch, we have ourselves a great game tomorrow night, but before they get on the game, they need to subscribe and download this podcast. Where can they do that, and where can they find us at, on social media? So you can find us on social media on Twitter, at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter, at AlexGoldenNBA. You could find me on Twitter, at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you can find us on Instagram, at PacersTalk. Yeah, and if you want to subscribe to the podcast, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. I don't think it's really called podcast, but Spotify. And wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to this anywhere you want to. So make sure if you're on Apple, subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Let us know what you like about the show. If you don't like the show, I'm sorry. We're, we'll uh, we'll try to do better to make you like it. But at the end of the day, Fauci, we got ourselves a great game. And in your best Spiro DDs impersonation, give us those three words. Let's go pacers.